In today's episode, we continue our conversation with Carrie about her nephew, Michael. So are you advocating for other victims or have you- So I do, I do because SB 1391, um, it gave an opportunity for a young man by the name of Daniel Marsh who had committed a double homicide to um, be released from prison. Um, so there's that case. And then there's a little girl by the name of Maddie Middleton from Santa Cruz. She was eight years old and she was killed by her 15 year old neighbor. Um, she was raped and murdered and put in a trash and um, he's gonna be released. And so yes, even though in our case, it's already gone to you know the Supreme Court of California. And so he's gonna be released, but um, I continue supporting other families. And um, my hope is that they will amend it because I don't think that, that there shouldn't be an opportunity for somebody that age to be released. And I do think that their, their age and their mental health and their family background should be taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't think that hands should be tied. You know, if a 15 year old goes into a school and he shoots and kills nine of his classmates, I don't think he should be out in five years. No. And so that's my whole point. Do you think that that maybe having a place where they can get uh, mental health help would uh, and help, would help to rehabilitate some of them? I mean, I, there are some that are not going to be rehabilitated. I understand that 100%. But there are a lot that, you know, they're their family backgrounds, they don't know any different. They don't know that they right. can make different choices, better choices, and get out. So, you know, maybe something that would would aid. I mean, I think all of them should be given that that chance, but many of them are not going to be rehabilitated because they just mm -hmm. they just can't. They're evil, um, and there's no rehabilitating them. Mm -hmm. uh, but let let going back to what I said before, I think we need something different for violent juvenile offenders than what we have currently. Right. I agree because at least at that age, there's hope that they can, um, I don't necessarily believe that they can be taught empathy, but maybe they can be taught not to do certain things regardless of whether or not they have empathy. Maybe they can be, um, they can learn why they're like that because mm. um, I've come across enough people who have been convicted of crimes to realize that a lot of them don't even know why they do it. Right. Even if they've come from a family where they've been severely abused, they don't link the abuse that they experience to what they're doing. And meanwhile, they they may not know why they're doing it and they don't know where their anger is coming from. It's just spilling out all over the place. And that is the kind of re rehabilitation I'm talking about. I agree, you cannot teach empathy. Either you have it or you don't. Those mm -hmm. It's not something that can be learned. So I do agree with that. But yes, that's the kind of things that I'm talking about. They can be rehabilitate them with, if they know why, 
they're doing it, then maybe they can make the changes. Right. There needs to be and like something in place, like therapy or like, you know, in school, at least maybe like they have to, every kid has to talk to their counselor or a therapist in order to like, you know, figure out what's going on. And then at least at that point, they can pinpoint a little red flag on a person because you're starting right. to realize like something's not right with this one in particular. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that should at least help to prevent some of those things, even if, you know, they're a little bit wild, but maybe it'll also get into their head of like their, their understanding that something is, you know, wrong with them or something. I don't know. Right. But like Which throwing them into mean? prison, then mm -hmm. there's no fixing that at that point. Right. Yeah. I don't know um, the history of Jay Williams or Randy Thompson's families. And um, I would really like to know what, what created those two. Mm -hmm. I, I realize that there's situations where it doesn't matter what a parent does, mm -hmm. you know, their kids are going to do what they do. But to be this extreme, I have a hard time believing that um, there wasn't something going on that um, helped produce this. It's just, mm -hmm. it's too, the way they were was too sick mm -hmm. not to have been, in my opinion, um, brought on by something that was going on in their families. Right. And I know based on what I heard in court that um, Randy Thompson's sister had heard rumors before this happened. She had heard rumors at school that they were torturing animals and didn't tell her parents. Um, they noticed that some of their own rabbits were disappearing. And apparently when they, when they were torturing them, they were doing it at Randy Thompson's house. So it, how did, how did the family not know what was going on? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. at least that, they had two very sick individuals hanging out at their house. Right. There had to be some kind of signs. There had to be some kind of... I, that this just doesn't start. You know what I'm saying? Like, there had to be right. something. Five, six, seven, eight. I don't know. Mm -hmm. There had to be some kind of sign. Yeah, I don't think somebody just decides at 15, mm -hmm. hey, it sounds like it would be fun to kill a classmate. Right. Or start torturing animals. That doesn't just fall out of the sky. No. Do you think that maybe if they had not met up, do you think individually they may have eventually done this? Or do you think it's it was something with the two of them together? So the prosecutor definitely believed that it was a combination of the both of them. Um. I wonder what would have happened to their lives had they never met. Um, but the two of them getting together, maybe that was the, you know, the, um, the catalyst. Yeah. Wow. I wonder, I don't know what their lives were like before they met because they were so young. I believe that they were in um, junior high when they met. And Randy Thompson was in, I think, elementary school when he met Michael. Wow. Yeah, well, so, they knew each other a long time. They did. So well, I was going to ask, I was just going to ask, um, can you tell us about Michael? Because I don't want to make this all about the murder. You know, I feel like 
it's important for people to know that Michael was a person who had, you know, dreams and aspirations. And um, if you don't want to talk about him, that's fine. I just wanted to know if you wanted to say anything about him. So Michael had a very quirky sense of humor. Um, he loved playing video games and he was very good at it. Mm. I remember when he was um, really little, when he was in elementary school, how he was beating people that were adults in video <laughs> games and how they would get wow. frustrated because he would, you know, he'd stand up and be like, ha 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 <laughs> after he had beat an adult in a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, him and his friend like to do something that they called urban ninjas where they would be in um, like by McDonald's for instance um, in like a cardboard box and they'd sort of be hiding behind different different barriers and just kind of like to um i i can't think of what you'd call it blending in with the with the scenery and then doing little ninja moves and <laughs> um it was really funny he just he had a great sense of humor and he was the kind of kid that would be friends with anyone mm-hmm. he was learning how to play a guitar I don't really know what he wanted to do mm-hmm. when he grew up. He, like I said, he, um, he had just turned 15. Yeah. So I thought about it this morning and I, and I don't know why it was just today that I remembered that. Um, so his birthday's on the 14th of this month, October 14th, he was born in 1994. And that was actually the last time that I saw him on his 15th birthday Hmm. and um it just in some ways it feels like it was yesterday and then in other ways it feels like it was a hundred years ago right you know so much has happened since then and then sitting through all these trials um I hate to say it but so many of my memories are colored by what what happened Mm -hmm. um I've talked about this with different family members where the one of the unfortunate things that has happened is I when I'm looking at his pictures, it's kind of like I see that he's 10 years old and I know how much time he has left. Mm-hmm. Or I see that he's five years old and I'm wishing that there was something that I could do to interrupt, you know, to do something that would change what happened. And the closer that the pictures get to the end of his life, the harder it is to look at them. Or I'll look at pictures of him and and it's kind of like my brain wants to lay over an image of his wounds. And so aside, in addition to stealing the actual human being, it's robbed a lot of memories. Yeah. Carrie, if I remember correctly, it was a lot of years before they were actually convicted, wasn't it? It was. So um, Jay Williams was convicted in 2014. So he was arrested in 2009, but convicted mm-hmm. in 2014. And um, I don't remember what year Randy Thompson was convicted. He had two trials because the first one ended in a hung jury. So there was three trials. And then it seemed like shortly after Jay Williams or Randy Thompson was convicted, um, 
these the new law came up so there was never any um there wasn't much time where it was like a relief you know they both convicted and I don't have to think about them anymore Mm -hmm. it was soon after the sentencing when things started changing and so there's never really been any any peace was was the law retroactively yes oh Yes. So there's a possibility that people that were, you know, convicted as teens um, in the 80s may come up. And I I don't really know because it's still being fought Mm -hmm. what will happen with that. But um, and I may be I may be wrong. It may be that it's only retroactive if their case is still being appealed through the system. And um, once their appeals are over, if if that was the case, then they may not be eligible. I'm I'm just not sure. That yeah, because in in Maryland, I know that they made a new law to um, so that people who were convicted before the age of eighteen can have a uh, can be resentenced, and and that was retroactive as well. Okay. And it's it's kind of you you want it to be retroactive if it's the the law that fixes some problems, but then you know uh, you get a new set of problems. Right. Yeah. And personally, I I want it to be based on the crime. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, it, that's the most logical answer in my opinion. But that should be with everything. It should be. You know, nobody should spend 25 years in prison on a drug charge. No. Right. Or a nonviolent crime. And I get it. You know, terrorizing people when you're robbing a store is is horrible. Mm -hmm. But a 50-year sentence when nobody was hurt, it just, Mm -hmm. it's it's insane to me. And I know that that happens. And I know that people get life sentences when they've actually never put their hands on someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a case that we know of here in Texas where a 15-year-old girl was charged with capital murder and sentenced to life. But the prosecution only contended contended that she was a, uh, a lookout for the actual guys who killed this woman. And they never looked for the guys who actually killed this woman. But she was sentenced to life at 15, and I don't think that's right. Oh, wow. There's no evidence that, that she was even a lookout for anyone anyway. But but that, so, you know, those kind of laws need to be changed when it pertains to juveniles. Right. Well, right. And I mean, they could overhaul the system for everyone, yeah. but it's like, yeah. let's make sure that what we're doing is logical. We don't want to just open the prison up and, and let everybody out because of injustice. That's just another injustice. But right. to have logical sentencing and um, like the blanket laws, for instance, 1391, where they just release anybody who was convicted as a teenager, regardless of their crime. That's I think ridiculous. that that is yeah. that's nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it does make sense. I mean, I've read as much about sociopathy and, um, um, you know, the prefrontal cortex 
as much as I could even be before this because I've always been fascinated by how the human mind works. Mm-hmm. And so I totally get it. You know, I get that they're not developed yet and they're not the same as adults. But then on the other hand, I'll look at the way some little kids are where they're totally empathetic and will go out of their way to help each other. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for instance, in my own family, when a kid was hurt, the other kid rushed in and got the, you know, bandages and and applied pressure and and did whatever they could to make that better. I know that kids can understand empathy. They may not understand the lifetime effect of of um, their decisions, but a lot of them do understand empathy. And when they don't, I think that we need to do more to find out why. And I don't know if that ever came up with these two. Um, I don't remember hearing any psychological psychological reports on either of them and it could have happened it could just be that that's not something that my my brain stored but um i feel like the emphasis was on when it came to the attorneys was on denying it rather than um allowing the truth of how they even got to be the way that they are Well, I think that's the attorney's job is to, you know, to try to deny it and, and get them um, acquitted. So, you know. I can, I, and I understand that. I just feel like once, once they were convicted, um, I mean, I get even then there's appeals. But once they were convicted, I would think that this, even the system itself would want to know what created them. What right? What was? Did, didn't you say one confessed, or did they both? One. Um. So, one confessed, and then the other one tried to make it look like he only stabbed Michael after the fact, after he had already died. Um. But one. Jay Williams actually did confess. He, he, he gave a very detailed confession. And because I listened to that, I was, and he's got an impeccable memory because he was able to describe the vehicles, the way the backyard looked, um, what was in the backyard, the relationship, the relationship of where Michael was found to certain items in the backyard. I don't know why he detailed all that, but to hear it made it clear that he was there and that he, um, and again, that it's the right person, you know, because the more information you get, the better. He was very detailed. Hmm. I think with a confession, if it can be corroborated by other things, by DNA and mm-hmm. other things, then if you have the confession, I don't even see why you have a trial. Right. I, I feel that way it's too. it's corroborated. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jude. No, I feel that way too. I feel like it's a waste of the the money and, it, and the emotions of everyone involved. You have the DNA. You have the confession. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. 
like we talked about earlier, the child was the way for Carrie to find out what had happened. That's true, you too. Know? Right. If you, if you just go straight for, well, we confessed, we don't need to know any more details about anything that might be. That's true. Also. So he, con he confessed, but he didn't plead guilty. And I think that's okay. where the difference is. He um, okay. he he confessed, but after speaking with an attorney um, and not pleading guilty, he probably had enough time when he was in jail to start realizing the the um, what he brought down on himself. Mm -hmm. And then at that point was when they started finger pointing, each yeah. one making it look like trying to make it look like the other one did it. Or um, even in the beginning, saying that there was a, they were going to say that there was a third person there. Wow. But I think once, once, because um, we went to so many hearings, it's, I couldn't even guess how many times I'd been to court. But this was before the preliminary hearing when they're just kind of throwing all these ideas about. And that's when this phantom third person um, was brought up and then it never came up again. Wow. So I think that was just the attorneys trying to figure out how they were gonna how they were gonna defend it. Right. But they both um it didn't take long and they were each trying to make out like they were the one that um first it was that the other one did it and they were just there and then it was, yeah, well, I took part in it, but Michael was already deceased at the time. So But in the state of Texas, that doesn't matter. If you were there, you're just as guilty as the person wielding the knife or the gun. If you were there, you're just as guilty, whether you participated actively or not. Right. I really want to thank you for letting us know. I, I mean, I knew, but I didn't realize how much this um, keeps going on. Like you said, it affects you. Yeah. Memory, how it ended. And also, you want to know, but that means you have to go through the trauma of listening to mm -hmm. what happened. Yeah. And you cannot unhear that and you maybe you need it for healing, but maybe it also hurts you. It's awful and it's um yeah, I'm just real and really thank you for, for sharing that because I maybe a lot of victim families go through this mm -hmm. that they don't want to forget and they don't want it to be forgotten, but that means you have to stay in that. That's a very time. good, very good point that mm -hmm. you made because over the years I've met lots of people who have been through something very similar. And um, really the the trauma doesn't go away. You kind of just learn how to manage it. But it, it's an unfortunate part of sitting through the trial is you do um, those things just become part of your your memory it's almost like your brain, it feels like your brain is taking snapshots of every horrific thing that you, you've seen and you hear. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then if you think about it, a lot of that gets triggered. If you think about the time where like you're scrolling through Netflix and you see, you're looking for something and you see all these different covers to movies and a lot of them are really graphic. Halloween used to be really hard because mm -hmm. of the, the, um, outfits and the weapons and like a lot of people like to make their yards look like crime scenes and for a few years Halloween was just horrifying 
So it's just one of those elements. And having talked talk to so many people that have gone through it, it's, it's so life-altering. Yeah, I can't, I just can't imagine living through a nightmare like that. I'm just so thankful that I've never had to. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. would imagine that it matters that you can have, you know, that you can meet each other like other victims' families. It does. It does because unfortunately you don't want to, you don't want to face the fact that other people experience it too. But on the other hand, you kind of having gone through this and the kind of memories and nightmares that you have, it kind of makes you feel like a freak. And when you meet other people who have experienced mm -hmm. it and you see, okay, well, we kind of all go through the same thing, then you can kind of give yourself a break for, mm -hmm. um, you know, where you're at as far as healing and, Right. not healing i would imagine that's very important what you do i think and, yeah and and also to let other people know that they should should uh, you know reach out and see if there are any resources if they they experience something like that right and also unfortunately it's pretty limited but you know they're they are out there also for, for parents and caretakers to, to watch what their kids are doing. And if they are yes. drawing violent things mm -hmm. and, you know, animals are going missing, maybe you need to pay attention pay to attention. that mm -hmm. and get help. Because I think maybe, well, I don't know. I, l I would like to think that we can help them before they advance to that, to right. murdering people. But Again, you can't you can't teach empathy, but you can teach right and wrong. Yeah, right. and you can get involved when you see that neighbors or family members or even friends are treating their kids in abusive ways. People don't want to get involved and they don't want to make phone calls. But working where you know, having worked in rehabs, I know what the effect can be of of abuse and neglect. And um, people turning a blind eye to it. Our, our jails, our prisons, our rehabs, and our cemeteries are full of people who, you know, didn't get the help that they needed. That's true. That's so, Very so true. true. So what, what do you think that our listeners could uh, do to help anyone? Victims, <laughs> families, and... I think that one of the things they can do to help is to actually know what's going on locally and in your state as far as laws. Um, you really have to be aware of changes that are being being made, especially with Senate bills, because they don't need us to vote on those. So um, you have to be aware of what's going on and, and maybe advocate for better mental health for everybody. You know, mm -hmm. when people have gone through um, crimes and they're victims of crimes, they're going to need it. But a lot of people need me better mental and better physical health and it's not available. Um, and then the other thing I would say is listen to people. You know, they, when you have a friend or a family member and and they're going through something they need to have somebody to listen to them and maybe help them advocate for themselves. Because when you're 
and when you you know when you're overcome you can't necessarily do it for yourself so as far as society is concerned i think that that would go a long way we well, all need to look out for each other True. yes we do we do and carrie we want to thank you for coming on today and telling us your story yes um, it, I've ahead, I've Jean. learned I've learned um, some things I, I I wasn't aware of so I thank you as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, I appreciate it. Well, sorry, I muted myself. <laughs> um, it's nice to <laughs> to hear from someone who um, who has been through such a horrific thing, but it hasn't made you um, a sad, bitter person. You want to help others. And that's right. so great to see. Yes. Thank you. You seem like a very- I am a little bit bitter, but I don't- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. let it take over. I'm, I'm definitely, I, I'm definitely a bitter, angry person, but- um. I won't let that overshadow trying to do the right thing. <laughs> right. But your your anger and bitterness are directed at two people. Right. Not the world. And that's that's kind of what yeah. I mean. Yeah. And also, you're very knowledgeable and, you know, well-informed, which is um, really good to listen to. Mm -hmm. Thank and, you. Yeah. It really makes a difference to me, like, to realize like putting the things together all of the things that yeah thank you i appreciate that thank you for listening to today's episode please check back next week where we will speak with patricia and if you haven't already please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss when new episodes are released and follow us on all social media platforms at touched by crime to stay up to date thank you and we hope to see you again next week